first things first, uh, the comic we're going to talk about today is Invincible Iron Man from 2004. It is a story called Extremis. It is by an artist named Audi Granov and by one of comics' most important authors, this British guy named Warren Ellis. In June 2020, Ellis was publicly accused by many women of manipulation, gaslighting, coercion, and other forms of emotional abuse. Obviously, that's terrible. And this podcast believes in support the victims of Warren Ellis' behavior. I wanted you to have this information up front, and I completely understand if you don't want to listen to this episode because the allegations made against the author. For more information, uh, wow, sorry. For more information, please check out the site somanyofus.com. I'm trying my hardest to separate the art from the artist, but I understand why not everyone would want to do that. And I want to be upfront about what the comic we're going to talk about today is. Uh, so, without further ado, Shortbox summary. We're back, baby. Hey. Felt, yeah, it feels like Fabio's here. Yay, Fabio. I feel oh, like we I haven't wasn't had a Fabio. No, sorry. Just I'm not used to having you on as a guest. I feel like it's been years <laughs> since uh, since we recorded an episode together. Time's relative. It's fine. Sure it's it like time is just a weird ball of it, it's like if I was really confused about Marvel timelines, like guess how fucking confused I am about ours. <laughs> What is more fake to you, uh, time or the economy? Oh, the economy for sure. Economy is more fake. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because the sun goes down and I could see that. Yeah, and your hair gets longer and I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. We'll update our power rankings of fake things at the end of this podcast. <laughs> uh, well, as I alluded to, we are talking about the Invincible Iron Man um, from 2004 by Warren Ellis and Addy Granov. Whew, 2004, November 10th, 2004 is when the first issue of the series came out. Now, Fabio, some background. I had just gone to Homecoming and kissed a girl for the second time in my life. Whoa. Yeah. So less embarrassing than the first time. Uh, probably, yeah. Um, I'm not going to... I have it written down. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, her name was blank. I'm not going to say her name. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I will say she had very prominent bangs. Like they were very loud. I like know Zoe... exactly who you're talking about now. <laughs> Zoe Duchanel-esque bangs. Uh, we talked the Monday after at school, said four words to each other, and then we didn't speak again until 2007. Man, ain't that the way life goes? So this, you, it took you longer to uh, speak with this person than for the Iron Man movie to come out after this comic. Yeah, basically. Um, bas- <laughs> we're going to talk about it. There were so many delays on this book. I, I like time stamped oh, each really? issue because there was just like months. But like it probably took it took half as long for this six issue series to come out as it did for me to speak to that girl again after our homecoming. Kiss and <laughs> and uh, subsequent like, oh, I guess we're dating. And then three days later being like, that nah. means nothing to us. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's what it means to be 14 and 15. What can you do? <laughs> Uh, Fabio, this is the first time we're talking about Iron Man, not in like a team capacity. What's your yeah. experience with Iron Man? Do you do you like the character? Do you not like the character? What's up? Um, never a big fan. I had read Civil War and um, was definitely on um, Captain America's side of, of it. I didn't like Hell yeah. Tony Stark's authoritative, you know, uh, ideals. And uh, yeah, I just wasn't really into it. Um, and so I've... I've never really liked him as a character. I kind of think he's just rich asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, did love the Iron Man movies. Like that was probably like the most exposure I had after reading. I think Civil War came out before that. Yeah. 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 So um, 
Fuck, what year was Iron Man? Was that 2006? That was 2008. 2008. Oh, wow. That came out way later then. Okay, never mind. May of Um, 2008, yeah. Okay, so then, yeah, that was probably like my next exposure after reading Civil War would have just been that first movie. And Civil War was like 2006. Okay, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Um, I don't know, man. They were all torrents. Who can remember these things? <laughs> um, but yeah, not not a big fan of of Captain America. Sorry, of, of Tony Stark's. I did buy like some of the Marvel Now uh, re release because they were just you know number ones of everything. So I was like, oh, this is a good place to start. And I just read the first issue and never bought the second. So yeah, um, yeah, this is like my first actual story arc, like of Iron Man. Very cool. Um, I didn't really know the character super well either. Like I knew him from other things. Like he had a cartoon in the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. God, that cartoon. Like I love the X-Men and Spider-Man cartoons. The Iron Man cartoon is like legit. Not good. Uh, I got a friend who listens <laughs> yeah. to this podcast. His name is Ben. I remember like three years ago I was visiting him and like I had the, the DVDs for Iron Man, the cartoon. I brought him over cause he had like a young child. I'm like, Oh, we should all watch this together. We like all fell asleep like within like two episodes. <laughs> it, was, it was not, not the best uh, programming. Yeah, I remember I had a friend that was like a huge fan of that cartoon. And I remember us watching it for the first time. And I was just like, why? Like, he was so excited for the movie. And after like that, I was like, wait, why? Why did you like this? Uh, I'm glad it's not me because that means I'm not your dumbest friend. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad. I'm sorry. I'm sure they're a lovely person. Um, Probably not. So, yeah, like this this comic series was kind of like my first exposure. Like I knew him from team books. And I knew him from like New Avengers, which I was already reading at the time, I think, um, or about to start reading at the time. And I knew him from like certain video games, like he was in X Men Legends Two, right, Age, right. Age of Apocalypse. You could like collect all the armor pieces, but like, man, I like cannot stress enough how unpopular a character Tony Stark was before this comic in particular. I uh, I remember that in, what was it called, the Invincible Iron Man movie that had come out it was an animated movie i think it came out after um justice league like new frontier like it was it was like around that same time um and i remember being really into that movie i thought that movie fucking ruled um so i guess that that probably was my first exposure to (laughs) gotcha even yeah so even before i read civil war so yeah all right, so were you? This was basically like a clean, clean entry for you on the character. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And All I right. did like the fact that you can really do anything with a character, and this comic proved that. Like, it doesn't always have to be like a praise of every action that a character takes. Like, I just, yeah, this was a really interesting and good place to start. So I appreciate that. And I think that anybody who hasn't read Iron Man should definitely start here. I don't know any better, but I did like where I started with this series yeah um let's jump right into it the first issue the second issue and the fourth issue have like just major philosophical discussions happening in them so those are a little longer and fabio even did some own research uh in prep for for one of these issues so i'm really excited to get to that one so we could talk about it uh without further ado though let's jump in let's talk about extremis part one All right. Three men enter an abandoned slaughterhouse, one with a suitcase. They pull some sort of injection device out of the case and ask the third member if he's ready. After injecting him, the dude collapses. and He looks like he's having an aneurysm. The two surviving people decide they were sold a dud and begin to head out. When the drugged guy comes to, he begins screaming and vomits black bile everywhere. Terrified, the two non-drugged guys make a break for the doors and lock the dude away. 
Two days later, Tony Stark is awakened from a cot in a drab workshop by his ringing flip phone because 2004, baby. Can't, can't go anywhere without a Motorola or a nice Nokia flip. It is his personal secretary, Mrs. Rennie, calling to tell Stark it's time to come back to the world. After being a disgruntled dick, he takes a shower, catches his face in the mirror, commenting how much he hates himself. In Austin, Texas, at the same time, Dr. Aldrich Killian begins writing something on his computer while the special vaults project at his work, Future Farm, has been compromised. Through what eventually becomes his confession, we learn that he's responsible for the break-in. He's apologetic in his email, but ultimately defeated. He pulls a gun out, and before pulling the trigger, he says, I've never been in love. Never. No one's ever loved me. What a fucking Legit. incel. Yeah, what a loser. Uh, and then he just <laughs> bl- blows his brains out. Uh, let's see. His assistant, Dr. Maya Hansen, finds his body and his letter. We know he stole something called Extremis, and while we have no idea who he gave it to, we can guess based on the first scene in this comic. On Coney Island, protesters yell outside Stark International. Their signs accuse Stark of being a part of the New World Order, of weapons <laughs> manufacturing, and responsible for the deaths of the weapons he's made. Only some of the signs are true. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not all of them. <laughs> it's really interesting how uh, how different ways it can go. Like some, There's a little bit of truth there, but also, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, there's a, a lot of people don't like Stark. Sure don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, inside Stark looks at them and wistfully malends the loss of optimism people had about the future in front of a documentary filmmaker named John Pillinger, there for a project he calls Ghosts of the 20th Century. Uh, Tony Stark's origin is rebooted here, and we learn that he was 19 during the first Gulf War. He was originally uh, developing during the Vietnam War, but just as mm. you know, time marches on and these characters don't age, you got to uh, recontextualize where and when things happen. Thankfully, the U.S. has been involved in multiple skirmishes since Vietnam. So, hey, any every generation has its own Tony Stark, according to the yeah. comics. Uh, you think they do that on purpose, just to make it easier to make comic books? That's why they just keep, in, you keep invading countries? That's exactly what the military-industrial complex exists for, George. Marvel's yeah, paying them off. In intellectual property, yeah. that's why. Yeah. yeah, they just really want a good story arc. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, He designed a weapon for the U.S. Air Force called the Seed Pod Bomb, something that would launch and then disperse smaller, more powerful explosives, each one relative to three sticks of dynamite. The documentary filmmaker informs Tony that 18% of them had faulty timers and that children find these ultra-powerful explosives to this day. The subject quickly changes to the Stark Sentinel landmine, something he says was developed for the 38th parallel between North and South Korea, but moved it to Afghanistan to contain Al-Qaeda forces there. Taliban gunman shot the Sentinel mine and detonated it, giving Tony the shrapnel in his heart. This leads to the discussion of a super gun, which leads to the guy's main point, the Iron Man suit. He's trying to get Tony to admit that it's a weapon, but Tony holds firm, all the while designing a brand new armor on a notepad in front of him. Uh, Tony goes ham on this dude, saying that while the Iron Man suit is used as his own personal bodyguard and with peacekeeping and initiatives like the Avengers, there's been a lot of useful applications from his deals with the military, and while he started as an arms dealer, he doesn't intend to die as one. Using biometric implants, cardiac replacement medicine, and internal analgesic pumps are just a few of the accomplishments brought to the world courtesy of projects like the Seed Pod Bombs and Iron Man. Uh, Pillinger remains unimpressed and asks him if an Afghan kid who lost his arms to a Stark landmine should give a shit about his pain-killing drug pumps or his Iron Man suit. Stark sits in silence before saying, quote, I never claimed to be perfect. I always knew there would be blood on my hands. I'm trying to improve the world. Pillinger calls the interview and then is like, dude, you know who I am. Why would you even want to meet with me at all? 
Stark jumps the line and says, why am I a ghost of the 20th century? And the dude says, quote, because your arms work of the 90s still haunts the poverty and war stricken countries they were deployed in. Stark counters by saying nobody works harder than Pillinger. Intellectuals, critics, and activists all know his work, but in the broader culture, this dude is basically an unknown. And Tony's like, how about you, dude? You change anything? Pillinger says, I don't know. And Stark shakes his hand, saying it's been an honor to meet him and seems sincere, leaving Pillinger very confused. <laughs> what do you take of that? Like, what what is the... What did you, what did you get that from that interaction? Because I had a hard time, like... Like, none of it felt like a big one-up, right? Like, No, no, it did not. So I don't, um, I don't really get what the point was necessarily by his questioning. Like, do you, what do you think it is? It almost felt like, it felt like a scene in like a church, right? Where it was like someone in like a, a confessional booth almost. Where yeah. like Tony needed like his own sins like read to him by someone else. Someone objective, someone mm. who's smart, someone who specializes in calling out the empowered entrenched people of the world like that that's kind of what it felt like like he was looking for accountability and i guess he thought if he could convince this guy that it was worth it to develop these weapons to get you know any kind of even micro advancements in in other technologies that it was worth it and i think this guy was like dude no it was obviously not worth it yeah there's a, a an idea called manufacturing consent which is you know basically just getting the public to believe that your ideal is the right way to go. And a lot of times those go into, you know, setting up wars and disasters and all kinds of horrible man-made, you know, issues. But like, I believe that that's kind of maybe where you <laughs> like going with what you said. I think it was a bit of, yeah, that makes sense. A bit of manufacturing consent. Um, maybe if he got the public to acknowledge the good in him, then that would be enough. Yeah. It's interesting. Okay. God damn, this is a good book. Yeah, this is a really good book. Um, <laughs> back at the slaughterhouse, the black bile has stained and warped and taken over the man who spewed it. His eyes are red. It's uh, so down cool. in, uh, It's fucking terrifying to look at. Yeah, um, this is just a quick note, because I don't think we've talked about it yet. The art style in this book is so fucking unique. Um, and one that I didn't think I would like, but I am in love with it. It is hyper detailed lines like it almost looks like photographs that have been like run through like a, a yes. Photoshop filter almost. Yeah. And, you know, just like made to be like line art. And then it's like airbrushed over. So like everything yeah. has like this weird volume to it that you can actually feel on a two dimensional page. Yeah. Really, really interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just sorry for interrupting. No, no, I'm glad. Well, that's Big like that's such a bummer about doing like a podcast about comics as you can't show the comics. <laughs> Down in his garage, he looks at his Iron Man suit uh, with borderline disgust, the way he looked at himself in the mirror. John Pillinger says the Iron Man suit is a military application, he says. I told him he was wrong. I'm trying to decide if I was lying. It's used for extraordinary rescue and response situations. Iron Man saves lives. Iron Man used to represent the future. He rehashes his origin about the shrapnel in his heart, the Iron Man suit helping him escape captivity while the magnetics kept the shrapnel out of his heart, yada, yada, yada. But he says something super key during the stereotypical superhero montage. He says, <sighs> quote, it allowed me to pretend I wasn't a man who made landmines. I went from being a man trapped in an iron suit to being a man freed by it. Just then, he blasts out of the launch tube of Stark International in his Iron Man suit and flies past the protesters who immediately sell out and admit how cool <laughs> Iron oh, Man is. Cool. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, that's a cool, cool looking guy. Never seen him before. <laughs> oh, I'm Rocky Balboa. Look at me. Uh, <laughs> that's how every every bystander sounds in the Marvel Universe. Just, oh, yeah, yeah. Look at that. 
Yeah, I no, it's uh, it's like that feeling of everyone who's anti-guns, and then they shoot a gun for the first time. They're like, "Fuck, that was fun, though." <laughs> you know, it's like you can't deny it's a little fun. It's a little cool. Yeah, I'm against guns, but like I own several Nerf guns because it turns out it is really cool to pull the trigger or something and like knock something like a Lego figure over across your office. You know, like that's that's a cool feeling. I had a BB one that shot little airsoft like ones and uh, I didn't realize, but when I was done shooting bottles at my, on my table, um, there were a bunch of holes in my, in my, in my, uh, my blinds. So yeah, it was a bad idea. <laughs> Spent a lot of money uh, to repair those. <laughs> oh no. Apartment. Yeah. 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 Don't shoot BBs do, in your apartment. Can't do anything in apartments. <laughs> landlords. <laughs> Uh, while flying, Tony has a flashback to a bar where he's talking to a woman and is shitting all over the military industrial capitalist paradigm. And again, has a key line where he says, quote, I like talking about genuine outbreaks of the future, not vacuum cleaner, death machines and earphones. No one will buy. Why does it have to be about consumer goods? Why do we assume the future is only a retail opportunity? Turns out that woman he was talking to was surprise, surprise, Maya Hansen who's calling Tony and reminds him of some deal they made where they'd always take each other's calls and have each other's back. She sounds frazzled as hell and asks him to come to Future Farm. He obliges and organizes a jet to head over. She needs Tony, not Iron Man, and nobody knows they're the same anymore. Back at the slaughterhouse, fists are imprinted on the metallic doorways. The subject was locked behind. The doors open and we see a mostly human-looking man with red eyes and red teeth telling the men who left him there that he's alive. And that was issue one. Whew. Long one. Long issue one. Uh, we'll get into this more, but um, I so badly wanted to like this this creature that was inside this cage. Like, what he turned uh, into. Yeah. Like Pretty uh, pretty ruined by issue four, huh? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> like, what? A, I was so pissed that that's what he turned out to be. Because at first, I was like, whoa, this dude shreds. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, what a fucking banger. And it just it gets so much better, like, as you go through. I was not expecting this much uh criticism of Tony Stark out of a Iron Man comic. Mm-hmm. Um and you made a comment, which I want to dug dig into the further we go in, but just the stereotypical hero complex of kind of justifying all your actions because at the end of the day, it just it gives you something it makes you feel a little bit more alive by beating other people to a pulp you know like it's that thing where it's like they kind of like it you know and that was like a big daredevil thing too you know that inner conflict and i i just i love when like a story can dive into that of where it's like you're reading this and it has so many intricacies of like human nature but also at the end of the day they're complex like (laughs) and they make really shitty choices because at the end of the day they kind of like it and i that, yeah i just goddamn this is a good this is a good series well that and it's impressive because like they'll do that but like you won't hate them yet you know right right <laughs> Which is really impressive yeah someone yeah. like that in my actual life like oh boy i don't know if i want to hang out with this person but like right. with the comics at least it's like yeah i'll give marvel another three dollars to see what happens <laughs> next month like yeah okay I'm, I'm in yeah i typically seem to like really enjoy things lately that are um where it's not there is no objective good you know, where it's like both sides kind of suck because I feel like that's kind of just reality (laughs) where it's like there's not always like a clear good and a clear bad. It's just sometimes it just sucks. Um, And that's like been my favorite type of genre, I guess, lately. Like I love Succession. I loved Narcos Mexico. Like, you know, 
fucking um the wire you know like things like that where it's like there's really not a good guy here but this is kind of real well that and then you have to decide like okay this thing sucks less than this option but does that make it a good like net positive outcome right right yeah so yeah this is a great book and way deeper than i thought and it set me up and i just yeah i couldn't put it down once i started it all right um i just oh god damn so like the iron man series that came up before this marvel filed for bankruptcy uh, they they relaunched all their books. It, it was a big mess in like the 90s. They had this thing called Heroes Return. And that was like a classic reinterpretation. Or I guess like a, a classic like modern interpretation of their heroes. A back to basic sort of like fundamental approach. And then it became the 2000s. And everyone sort of like felt the need to modernize their books a little bit more. Right. And so at one point, Tony Stark actually became the Secretary of Defense. We talked about that in the Avengers Disassembled story. That's why he was like addressing the UN and he seemed drunk and he was like threatening the Latvian prime minister. That's why it was such a big deal because he was the secretary of defense. Yeah. And uh, everyone knew that Tony Stark was Iron Man. And then he was like literally at the end of that series, he's like, oh, by the way, I'm not Iron Man anymore. And everyone's just like, okay, (laughs) that's where we are now. Where like everyone just takes them at face value that they are two different people now. Yeah. Yeah. I love I love how he's just and I, I don't know if he already said it once, but he's just like. It's in a crate. It's it's my car. I made it. I made it fit into a crate. Just bring it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's his cop out for getting in. I really thought I was like, okay, is it is it an AI flying the suit? Is it one of his homies that he's currently using? Because you, you never know when you're starting off a new series of a comic. It could be yeah. anything. And uh, yeah, no, it was just uh-huh. really, really dumb. <laughs> Fly my cool box on my own plane, but don't look in it. Don't open it. Please don't, don't open it. Don't do it. <laughs> it's a uh, private. Please don't open it. Okay. All well, right. I, we it, should probably, that's issue yeah. one. So let's yeah. see. Yeah. All right. Issue two came out a month later, uh, December 29th, 2004. From his jet, Tony's having a video conference with his board about a brand new phone they hope to take to market. It has broadband <laughs> internet access baked in. You can download an MP3 in 30 seconds. <laughs> It can, That's it can I, pair to any computer via Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, USB, or FireWire. What what a fucking legend. This dude came out with the phone before we even had him. Yeah, but goddamn, in 2004, can you imagine how cool that would have been to download a oh song in 30 seconds? It was taking me like 9 to 14 minutes on my dial-up yeah. connection oh. to download a song. Minimum. Sometimes it would take me hours. Yeah. Depends how many users are active right now. Oh, only only two people. Oh man, yeah, that's that's going to be a twenty eight. Depends song. if mom picked up the phone. <laughs> yeah, like God, I just want to download this brand new song. Damn. <laughs> also, when was the last time you heard Firewire? Oh, it's been a long time, and just the amount of things that I would uh, download, thinking it was the right, like the amount of CDs I owned with incomplete audio, like it was just like the same song or like the wrong song name that I had no idea another song existed on the album. Cause it was just somehow left out of my files. Yeah. <laughs> like it was just all bad. It was so stupid. So this is revolutionary, Tony. Well, that and God damn, just to talk about LimeWire for a second, the amount of times oh. I would see like closing time by Blink-182, I'd be like, Oh no way. Blink-182 did a cover of that song. Closing time by Semisonic. <laughs> no, it was always a Semisonic version. People just mislabeled it and then put it up. <laughs> to be downloaded that oh semisonic.exe you... yeah i'll take it <laughs> yeah yeah I'll open that. <laughs> um well that and then also 
anytime I would like preview a song, there'd be like a blip in the song when I listen back to it on iTunes. Oh my god! Like I would try to listen to it like just in the first like fifteen seconds just to make sure Mm -hmm. it was the right song, and then try so hard not to listen to it while it was downloading after that because then I would just hear like a a like a pause, like a skip basically, like it was a CD. Uh, there was a Taking Back Sunday song that I didn't hear until ye, like several years after, like maybe like five years after I had already been listening to that same album. Like the, it was just a song that was wrong. It just wasn't on there. So I never heard it. <laughs> like it was yeah. just missing one. <laughs> it's not that I don't like the entire North album by something corporate. It's just <laughs> that I could only find seven of the songs from it <laughs> on LimeWire back in 2005. Like that's why I don't know the words to the other song. <laughs> All right, I'd like cool. to see you explaining uh, <laughs> that at a concert. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, sorry. Uh, I know all the other ones, just not these two because it didn't come in my LimeWire package. <laughs> I promise I'm a fan. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, Taking Back Sunday. Sorry, Mr. Green Day. <laughs> um, let's see. The board blows Tony and the 2004 audience away with those facts, as you can tell by our extended jokes. Uh, and they tell Tony that there needs to be a CEO, but there also needs to be a Stark in the garage tinkering and building things. Tony is hesitant because he's afraid the second he gives up control, Stark International will go back to making weapons for the military. The board member there asks the money, uh, makes the money sitch sound pretty dire and really pushes military funding as a means to get cash flow fast. Tony hangs up the call real soon after that. Tony arrives at Future Farm and is greeted by Maya, who fills him in fast. Quote, my project director killed himself. He stole my project and gave it to someone. We don't know who, which is an 18 word summary of issue one. But I decided to paint a picture for you guys instead. I hope you liked it. <laughs> they find also, Dr. Future Killings- Farm. Quick note, is Future Farm like a thing in Marvel or is that just for this? As far as I know, it's, it's just for this series. OK, cool, cool, cool. I just want to make sure I wasn't missing that. No, no, it wasn't. It's like, like it's not like shield or some shit. I don't know. No, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it at the at the end of the podcast. Like some okay, changes cool. they made for, for for movies and stuff. But okay, uh, let's see. They find Doctor Killian's computer, and Tony clones the hard drive and sends it to a friend to crack via his satellite network. He then flirts pretty successfully with Maya, and before you know it, they're on Tony's private jet to the Bay Area to see an old friend named Sal Kennedy, the man Maya convinced Tony to go see speak in their flashback in the previous issue. Meanwhile, a mysterious van parks outside of the FBI's Houston division. They meet Sal, who seems to be an old teacher of theirs, and this dude is a class A hippie, but apparently a genius too. He shits all over the type of science Maya and Tony do now because of the people they had to get into bed with to secure funding. Quote, this is the problem with thinking at this level. The basic truths that America is now being run as a post-political corporate conglomerate are too bitter to swallow. It's easier for the half smart people to think the path to freedom requires you to stand on one leg for an hour. We're facing up to the future, but we can't see it. I always thought it'd be the two of you who'd be road testing the future for us. But you, Maya, you're stuck in essentially punching biological structure until it gives up and does what you want and tony you fiddled with some medical patents and built a superhero suit she's the edward teller of biology and you're the dean cayman of technology i had no idea who those people were but it sounded like a burn so i looked it up edward teller was a hungarian scientist who's known as the father of the hydrogen bomb Fuck. <laughs> and D- dean cayman is the guy who invented the Segway. so so yeah pretty solid burns uh, all around i think yeah. um he continues saying, quote, you two are going to your graves with the epitaph almost useful, which might be the meanest thing 
I think I've ever read in a Marvel comic. Uh, they discuss the merits of psychedelic drugs, how DMT and mushrooms are better than acid, and this dude is just every stereotypical Berkeley professor you could possibly imagine. All the while, someone from that van enters FBI headquarters, and Sal continues to talk about DMT. This is a big quote, but I think it's interesting as hell. DMT interests me because it gets to a place beyond your memory stops. You know something like 60% of people have the same hallucinations on DMT? Terrence McKenna, rest his soul, called them self-transforming machine elves. Little bouncing technological artifacts that spoke a basic machine code that no matter what your language you could understand. He thought he'd access the afterlife. I think it's the operating system of the human body. The brain is actually designed to take it and process DMT. Did you know that? I think we're supposed to take it. I think we're supposed to see our own operating systems. Perhaps we're supposed to hack them. Perhaps we're supposed to change our own bodies. Drugs are technologies, Tony. In the places where humanity first rose, there were psychedelic mushrooms. It's a medical fact that those mushrooms improve visual acuity. That would make better hunters. The Iron Man suit you built, it has sensors. Zoom and the like, same thing. Whatever poor moron you stuff into that suit can see better. Same with early humans who had mushrooms in their diet. I imagine your extremists redesigned the human eye too. And you are both in the business of making better hunters. Haven't strayed too far from the pack, have you? Woo! Yeah. There's a lot in that paragraph, man. Yeah. Um, I I don't know how familiar you are with Terrence McKenna um, or anybody listening to this episode. But for me, Terrence McKenna was like a very important person when I found out about him. For me, um, he just really helped me see things from a different perspective that I didn't think was possible. So it was really interesting that he brought this up. Um, I think Terrence McKenna has like some of the most amazing worldviews on certain things, Um, you know, like against hierarchy, respecting nature and people. He had like something called the stoned ape theory, which was like very, very prominent for a while. Um, Metaphysics understood like molecular, like structure, like very smart person. Um, but also believed in like green anarchy um, where basically like a very ecological view of how the world should be treated. And I, but the thing I struggle with him though, is that he's always really, he's always, he was always really focused on the individual experience of living. And I may be wrong like normal, but I feel like, I feel like we, we strongly need to evaluate like how important the shared experience is. And that wasn't something he really did. And like, as an introvert who appreciates my personal alone time and like, uh, I I can admit like that there's absolutely like a fucking magic when it comes to like personal relationships, like be a platonic or like romantic, like there's something magical about that. And I feel like that shared reality, even though it's like different from, from each other like our shared realities are all very different views but i think there's so much like positive and progress that comes through like mutual encouragement and like being able to um to to just like teach each other as we go and grow together i think that there's a lot more value in that than the individual experience um but i found that reference to to him to terence mckenna really interesting um just because I think that, and maybe it was unintentional, but I think like it fits Tony Stark perfectly because like the drug like that Terrence McKenna was always talking about with psychedelics, it's, he always believed in like the very individualistic way, but Tony, Tony Stark's like drug is his fucking Iron Man suit. 
and his he's such a complex person but when you like peel back the layers like everyone's a very complex person but i think that like his desire for instant gratification from like the weapons that allows him to justify his actions just because he's super focused on like this pseudo like idea of what a hero is um is just like an outlet for his individual desires and i found that like reference to terrence mckenna very interesting just because it actually fits like tony stark so perfectly that although he didn't share those worldviews or like the view of like taking a psychedelic or dmt or something like that like it was suggested to him in this comic like his view was like very parallel to the same as like terrence mckenna it was just in a very different light um so it's just interesting how like the same reality can exist but through two very different lenses um yeah and there was just like a lot of references like even the you know the little machine elves or whatever like that idea of that like spiritual like reflection that psychedelics supposedly give um is like really similar to like the near-death experience right like it's an extremely similar experience um but yeah, it, and then, you know, that's something that like Tony Stark goes through constantly. <laughs> so like, yeah, I don't know. I just found it a really interesting uh, connection, whether it was like intentional or not. Um, I was just really surprised to see that in a comic. Very cool. Um, you hit on something that uh, I think Ellis actually explores really well in another book, which we'll talk about at the end of Ooh. this podcast. Um, oh, man, I'm excited to talk about that. It sucks that else is like a sex pest um, <laughs> such a sex pest god damn it, yeah god uh all right i mean fucking uh how many different artists were fascists you know like <laughs> can't deny that their art was good <laughs> yeah like he he oh, wrote a good yeah. book here he is a piece of shit i get it yeah both can be true both are yeah. true <sighs> all right back at fbi houston the assailant who entered literally punches the face literally. off the security guard <laughs> uh takes his gun and throws it into the chest of another guard collapsing it in the process he's clawing <laughs> through guards with his bare hands bullets are bouncing off him he's snapping necks like he's taking the cap off of a soda bottle he takes a deep breath and he exhales fire over dozens of people trying to escape the lobby incinerating them instantly back in the bay sal is being more therapist and storyteller at this point he finds that maya believes that with four years of engineering she could cure cancer but because she's a woman working in a sexist field and relying on military contracts she's still five to ten years away from being as successful as tony who stays up at night thinking of better iron man seats to build quote i tried to inculcate in both of you a sense of the future you remember that you showed up drunk he turned up in a suit but you both had the future in you. Why aren't you running the table? While talking, Maya gets a phone call and is urged to turn on CNN. Tony whips out his phone, which shows the devastation and death at FBI Houston. Maya recognizes the handiwork and knows that someone survived the extremist process and did all this. Back in the van, the enhanced aisle named Malin says he's just getting started. And that was issue two. Damn, another long, deep, heavy-ass issue. Yeah, really heavy. Yeah, it's um Yeah, I don't want to spoil what's about to happen, but um it's just really interesting to see like how fucked up shit can get when somebody wants something, right? Like she's like dealing with the military industrial complex because she wants to do something better, right? 
and like it just it's this like it's just this good question of like how many evils can make a right you know and i think that that uh, yeah. like persists throughout this whole comic that's like what they tell you like in in advertising or whatever where it's like oh yeah be ready to work like 80 hour weeks in your 20s and 30s so you can work like 40 hour weeks in your you know 40s oh so i just 50s. get treated like shit for most of my life when i'm supposed to be having fun and then have fun when i feel like shit cool got it. yeah basically yeah. <laughs> Whew. all right uh issue three uh came out april 13th 2005 so let's see four months wow yeah, four four That's months a huge gap yeah uh it gets worse <sighs> flying back from the bay maya finally tells tony what extremist really is she calls it quote magic bullet like the original super soldier serum all in one single injection it hacks the body's repair center part of the brain that keeps a complete group uh, wow blueprint of the human body when we're injured, we refer to that area of the brain in order to heal properly. Extremis rewrites the rapid center. In the first stage, the entire body essentially becomes an open wound. The normal human blueprint is being replaced with the extremis blueprint. The brain is being told that the body is wrong. Extremis protocol dictates that the subject be put on life support and intravenously fed nutrients at this point. For the next two or three days, the subject remains unconscious within a cocoon of scabs. So Extremis uses the nutrients and body mass to build new organs, better ones. We loaded everything we could think of. The hypothetical we were given was to build a three-man team who could take Fallujah on their own. There it is. Yeah. That's heavy. Yeah, never mind. Like, oh, so what you're saying is you could actually create organs that wouldn't decay to cancer like you could actually like create new kidneys for people that would remove the concept of dialysis but like no instead we just have to take this one iraqi city yeah and maybe that will fund her research into cancer you know but like at that point it's like uh it just shows how fucked up the system is right <laughs> when like the only way to get research money for cancer is by selling a bunch of industrialized weapons you know yeah like let's just make a bunch of civilians yeah, let's just make a bunch of weapons of mass destruction the size of, like, you know, a fucking tight end for a football team. And, uh, oh yeah. God. Based Unreal. on this dude being able to rip people in half, literally, <laughs> like, no, this was a disgusting idea. Oh, man. All right. Uh, Tony is talking about next it's steps. How Maya, yeah, Tony's talking about next steps. How Maya can help the government in their investigation when the hacker friend calls. He's hacked the hard drive and finds out Extremis was given to a group of local militiamen who are straight up domestic terrorists. Tony starts orchestrating a way for Iron Man to intervene while keeping his identity secret, and he catches his reflection, finally able to stand the sight of it now that Iron Man is needed. Finally, back at the airport in Houston, Maya leaves, and Tony starts prepping the Iron Man suit. We get flashbacks to a young man at home whose father runs into a gathering in the kitchen <laughs> saying the deal is fucked and he couldn't get the guns because, quote, the dealers are actually feds. These people are clearly anti-government extremists. The mother of the boy grabs a 12 gauge and opens a door where she's immediately domed, along with every other adult in the room. The boy sits there quiet. A time lapse transition shows the man who received extremists and attacked FBI Houston is that same child, Malin. Now grown up, powered, and pissed as hell. <sighs> See, that was probably like page 11 of this issue. The rest of the comic is just a fucking teardown fight that is like unlike anything yeah. I've seen in, in like another comic. Also oh, with so one like... of the funniest panels I've ever seen. Okay, well, stop me when we get to it. Okay. And, 
I, I just wrote a paragraph for the rest of the issue. Iron Man manages to find the van and immobilizes it on the side of the highway. Malin survives the crash and basically tells Tony to go fuck himself when he tries to end things peaceably. Tony's repulsors do absolutely nothing to this guy. He gets in close and Tony grabs him by the throat when out of the dude's fingertips grow small electrified needles. He stabs Tony with them whose armor is then compromised. He kicks Tony in the leg and crumples his leg armor like it's made out of tinfoil. He picks up Iron Man and throws him hundreds of feet into the air. His armor is taking too long to reboot and unable to stop his descent. He crashes back into the highway, totaling several cars on his way back to Earth. At least a dozen more are involved in the pilot. Not fooling around anymore, Iron Man throws a punch at Malin, who catches the fist and crumples his armor again. Tony shoots munitions from his shoulder, but Malin is barely phased. An immediate range, uh, immediate close range repulsor blast to the face just makes Malin smile. He punches Tony in the chest, collapsing his armor before grabbing a Porsche Carrera 911 off the road and lifts it above his head, ready to beat Tony with it like a drum. It's actually the next issue, so we'll keep oh, it's going. That's the next issue, okay. Yeah. But man, what a, we haven't really seen a whole bunch of like really like long choreographed fights really in comics, right? Like the books we've read. I feel like they've been like pretty, pretty quick, pretty flashy. Yeah, it's like a giant scene of chaos, you know, of just a bunch of heroes fighting and it's flashy and it's like a full two page, you know, scene. But like, yeah, this was really cool. This felt like it was and, and I think because of the art style specifically, it felt like it was straight out of a movie. Like yeah. I could see it, you know, like flipping yeah. through. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Issue four. Malin holds a car. Uh, oh, sorry. This came out July 20th, 2005. So this was four Whoa. months after or three months after the last issue. Okay. It gets worse. Uh, Malin holds a car above his head and is about to slam it down on Iron Man. But after he says typical villainous shit, Tony <laughs> fires a full unibeam blast from his chest and knocks the seed into a different zip code. Tony catches the car, but can't hold it and ends up collapsing under the weight of it. Malin has that a dozen is helicopters. <laughs> that is the funniest. <laughs> it's just, I just want to describe it. I know this is an audio format, but it is a Porsche 911 Carrera, probably. Yeah. And uh, it is the only, it's just crushed to hell. And the only other thing than the dust and the road and the sky is just Tony's, it's just Iron Man's hand sticking out from underneath the bottom of it. <laughs> like, oh, he's, it's just, he's pancaked it's underneath it, like, like it's the so fucking, funny. like Wiley Coyote under a boulder in the <laughs> yeah. desert. Yeah. yeah, it is the funniest panel. I love it. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, Malin has dozens of helicopters closing in on him and runs away like he's the Flash. Under the Porsche, fires race towards Tony and the family trapped inside, but Tony manages to avert the fires by shooting a burst of air or something. Yep. Uh, this one does. He set that yeah, up just in case of this he, exact situation. He thinks of everything. <laughs> Almost everything. Uh, the authorities roll in and tell Iron Man that they clocked the dude running away at a blistering 300 miles per hour. I don't think that that's how fast those machines work up to because vehicles don't go that fast. So that, that I don't think that works anyway. It's if like Tokyo listening. drift when they're like, Oh, you go over 90 miles per hour. They'll never catch you. They don't even have. It's like that. Oh, it's like that. Yeah. It's like that. Okay. Tony is stuck inside his armor and tells him he needs to be airlifted to future farm. They pull him inside and Maya sends her team away. Tony reveals that he's Iron Man and the dude is busted all to hell. She's amazed that Tony and Iron Man are the same person, but she thinks Tony has lost his mind when he requests that she shoots him up with a reconfigured extremist dose. Maya asks Tony for help because it takes two people to open the extremist vault, and from there, they get into it. 
quote, I've spent months in my garage trying to increase the armor's response time, and it's still not fast enough. I need to wire the armor directly into my brain. Extremis could do that. Maya points out that the dude is probably healthy when he was hit with Extremis. Tony's broken. Quote, Extremis works for the healing center. It'll fix me while it's working. I don't need the powers. If anything, we're talking about simplifying the payload. I need to be the suit. Instead of growing new organs, I need to grow new connections. This thing's gotten too heavy and too slow. I'm talking about speed of deployment, speed of operation. Maya goes to the airport to get a new delivery from Stark International, while Tony reviews footage from his armor and figures out that Malin is heading to D.C. We find Malin passing through some small-ass town where he comes across a high school student smoking a cigarette on her own. She asks him to leave because she assumes he's one of the guys from the town who dislikes her, but they begin talking. The young woman is disillusioned with the people in her town. Quote, I swear, wear a long coat and everyone thinks I'm going to shoot up the school. I'm on suspension. Wrote a story in class about zombies attacking the town. They called it terroristic writing. This country's gone insane. Malin thinks he's found a kindred spirit. I know exactly what you mean, he responds. What I don't get is cops and feds can outright kill us. And if we even think about defending ourselves, that's terrorism. The woman reveals her shirt. I was almost it says, with him. I was almost with him. It says America with three K's and an American flag with swastika instead of stars. Malin gets defensive, saying the clan did good things too, like defending Christian law. Finding finding out this dude is pro-clan sets this chick off, and she doesn't back down when Malin keeps defending them. He says, it all went wrong. I'm going to fix it. I've got this stuff inside me. See, from the future they were going to make, and I'm using it to turn back the clock. Quote, back to lynchings and smallpox infected blankets to different looking people. You're as bad as them. Leave me alone. Malin takes off at high speed and vaporizes this woman's head on the way out of town. She is just pieces on the side of the road now. Yep. No back head. At f- no head. No head. This is a oh very graphic comic, George. Oh, yeah. It just it looked like a bowl of minestrone on the floor. It was horrifying to see. Quick question. Is that artistic choice or does Marvel typically censor shit like that? Because I was under the impression that they couldn't show this type of graphic violence unless it was like a um, like a mature themed comic book, like one of mm-hmm. those like, you know, uh, Max books or whatever, you know, like Punisher yeah, yeah, Max yeah. or whatever. That's a great question. They normally don't show this kind of stuff. I don't know why this was the exception. Like, I don't know if they just thought like it might have honestly been because Iron Man was so unpopular that they didn't they think anyone make would make it more gritty. No, they just didn't think anyone would read. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> like they thought they could just get away with it. Like, yeah, it's fine. No moms will care. No kids don't want them. <laughs> I don't know. Cause I mean like it, Warren Ellis sucks best, but like his name was like a really big deal in 2004. So I think they brought him on specifically to sell a bunch of books and they got Addie Granoff to draw the fuck out of this book, which he did. You know, we're going to talk was, about him. What did Warren again. Ellis, where was he before this? Was he not with Marvel? No, no, he'd done a couple things for Marvel, uh, but his biggest titles were at DC and okay. Image, uh, specifically okay, okay. Wildstorm, which was a sub imprint of Image, which was then bought by DC. Gotcha. So te- technically, he was like back and forth on both okay. of those. And uh, his, his biggest thing to date was probably this book called Vertigo. Uh, wow, uh, this book called Transmetropolitan at a publisher oh, yes. called, okay. called Vertigo. Whew. All right. Back at Future Farm, Maya returns with a new experimental armor Tony developed using memory metals, something that could snap into shape from an electric charge. It's like the cape from Batman Begins, except, you know, it's a whole-ass Iron Man suit. They're going to reprogram Extremis to take over the control systems. 
The panel goes black and Tony passes out before even getting the extremist shot. Maya's hesitant. She thinks with his injuries, there's no way he could survive the process. But honestly, he's so messed up from his fight with Malin that he needs the healing treatment of extremists. Otherwise, his injuries are going to be what kills him. Maya tries to convince Tony to call in help one last time. And Tony responds, quote, this is what I have to do. This is what I have. All I have. All I have is making the future and stopping the animals who want to take the future away from people. This muck of yours is the future. It shouldn't be wasted on killers. They all need to see that. And so do I. You're smarter than I am. Always have been. Me? I'm just a guy in an iron suit. Maya injects Tony with the extremists. And one freak out later, Tony's body goes limp. And you could totally see his dick through his gold spandex. Totally see It's outlined very well. Iron Man, uh, Iron Bulge, baby. Not really. I mean, he's got a little dick. But also, was, like, he was dying, so, like, I understand. I wasn't like, actually looking at his dick. I just assumed. Uh, I mean, if you're going to draw a hero, you probably draw him with, like, a, a solid downstairs, right? Not really, man. I'm looking at it right now. It just looks like oh. a little little tiny nub. But, I mean, like, also, like, you know, if I had black bile just spewing out of my body, like, I'd probably also be, like, fucking. Penis wouldn't be, like, a super priority at that point? No, no. It would be, like, um. What are those things they put on their fingers when they're sewing? Thumb, thumb needle? Like a, a thimble. Thimble. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little, little thimble, little thimble dick. Yeah. Okay. Th- thimble dick, uh, Tony. Well, that we also we don't know how tight his because uh, he's wearing like the the sheath, right? Like the little like skin suit that he wears, like between his body and like the Iron Man suit. I assume that's gotta be pretty tight. Probably keeps, um, you know, probably keeps Penile stuff packed, in place. Packed down. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not trying to body shame. It was just uh. An interesting, interesting observation about Tony Stark's wing wing. Is is wing wing? Yeah, that's a cute way to call it. All right, uh, issue five came out January fourth, two thousand six, five months after the previous issue. Uh, Tony comes to calling for Maya, but instead he wakes up to find Dr. Ho Yinsen, the medical futurist who saved Tony's life after his initial injury that sets him up to be Iron Man. Yeah, that's right. We're doing a flashback right now, baby. Yinsen says he'll be dead in a week, and Tony immediately comes up with his magnetic solution to keep the shrapnel from pushing into his heart. Yinsen walked out of the conference. He referenced because he thought it was about weapons. Quote, it wasn't for war. That was just to get the funding. You can't just wish the future into being. It has to be paid for. Even the munitions were just stealing money from the army for the real work. And that's, oh, sorry. And what is the real work? Yinsen asked. Quote, test piloting the future. The Iron Man program I floated at the conference is not about exoskeletons or war. It's about becoming better. It's about bringing on the future. How? The earliest stages of adapting machine to man and making us great. The earliest stages of adapting machine to man. Oh, that's Fabio, how. That, that's how. Oh, yeah. the next step of evolution, which is cyborgs. Okay, thanks, Tony. I mean, I don't know. I think there's like something to that, like the cyberpunk future, right? I mean, usually they're extremely dark and depressing in, in, in theory. So like, yeah, it's not what I, I mean, basically it's like if Elon Musk was like, like Tony Stark is basically if Elon Musk gave like a little bit more shit about punching somebody like that, <laughs> that's basically what I'm getting from this dude right now. Like where he justifies fucking everything he does just for a better future that only he sees. Like it's not really benefiting anyone. Would Tony Stark host SNL? Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah. Absolutely. He's so fucking full of himself. But he would be such a pain in the ass about scheduling. Yeah, probably. He'd be like, I already memorized the scripts. Do I even need to be there for rehearsals? Yeah. Also, um, he, he, fuck. What was it? Somewhere in this comic, somebody references a musician, I believe. And he's like, who? Oh, damn it. Oh, the Grateful Dead. Grateful they Dead, reference yeah. the Grateful Dead. And he's like, who? Like, motherfucker, if you don't know who the Grateful Dead is, like, how have you ever, like, existed? I don't understand. Like, I couldn't avoid the a fucking multicolored bear with like going through a mall in the 90s like how the yeah, fuck on, on every single bumper <laughs> yeah line. yeah exactly so it just goes to show how out of touch he is which is like a sociopathic thing when like people don't understand music it's a jeff bezos thing like he doesn't sure. understand music it's a thing and so like i feel like that's tony stark dude well that's totally a thing too uh like with the uh, like sherlock holmes right like he's like so obsessed with like understanding like microscopic yeah. data that he like doesn't understand that like the earth revolves around the sun and that the moon revolves around the earth right like he has like no knowledge of like the most basic fundamental yeah. uh the things that make us human <laughs> astronomy shit yeah and it's just like he's like why does that matter like does it matter if like we're going around the sun or if the sun's going around us like does that change like what i'm doing here like no it doesn't so f- fuck off Who yeah cares? yeah 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 yeah. That's why he's successful and we're not is because we listen to too much Grateful Dead. Uh, I've actually never listened to a Grateful Dead song. I've only heard it on the radio. I don't go out of my way to listen to Grateful Dead, but that's the difference between Tony and I is that he doesn't even know that it was Grateful Dead on the radio. Actually, I lied about that. I was just talking about Grateful Dead the other day in a text thread, and I said that a couple of their songs were good. That's how forgettable Grateful Dead is. <laughs> Yeah, I was even on that text thread, and yeah, uh, <laughs> I forgot about it entirely. And what's I funny did, is like I discovered them last year. I was like, let me finally listen to them, and I was like, yeah, it's okay. My hair goes down past my collarbone. Your hair goes down past your nipples, and I, both of us are like, yeah, Grateful Dead. Nah, nah. Yeah, they exist, but you yeah, know, not not why we're here. No. Cut back to the present, and Tony is all cocooned up. Maya sits at Tony's <laughs> so side. Now that I know it's scabs, George. <laughs> Maya sits at Tony's side and sees on an x-ray monitor that his hand mends from crumpled soda can into an actual hand again. And his arm is fused with some new strong material. Yinsen fits Tony with a breastplate that's magnetically powered and keeping the shrapnel from killing him. He straps into the now famous uh, silver Mark I armor. His captors open fire on him, and Tony responds by blowing them all to hell. He fires a repulsor blast and cuts dudes in half. He sparks a flamethrower from his hand and burns the encampment down. He fires a unibeam from his chest, and back in the present, a purple light shoots from the cocoon's chest, shattering it and releasing Tony from his little weird scabby prison. Maya is freaking out. It's only been 24 hours, and she's shocked he's out already. Turns out Tony modified Extremis, removing safeguards from it. Uh, from a small hole in Tony's arm, the undersheath he uses the interface of his armor begins pouring out and covering his skin. Super compressed and stored in the hollows of my bones, Maya. I controlled the <laughs> Iron Man with thought like it was another limb. I am the Iron Man. <laughs> that was the... I got, so silly, dude. <laughs> Tony then shows off. He calls Maya's cell phone with his brain and is talking without moving his mouth. He uses what he calls a vectored repulsor field to remotely control Iron Man armor segments out sure. of the briefcase and puts them onto his body to fully suit up. Sure. Maya wants to run <laughs> tests to see what the stress of this is doing to his internal organs, and Tony tells her not to worry. He grew new ones. 
I need to go to work now. Malin's out there and he's a day closer to Washington, D.C. We still don't know where he is, he's told. I do, Tony responds. Maya, I can see through satellites now. And then That's the, the issue part ends. I was waiting for. I'm a little disheartened that you're laughing because I thought that was like bone chilling as hell. Like, <laughs> it's like if Dr. Frankenstein made himself into a fucking monster. Like, this was. <laughs> This I thought this was like chilling to see, and you're laughing so hard you fall out of your goddamn chair. It makes me feel like a fucking idiot. <laughs> no, it's it's like extremely disturbing, right? Like that somebody would like take on that type of like we get mad when we hear about like China or Russia like having all these crazy technologies that can like spy on their people, right? And like the mm. United States does the same thing through you know apps and shit like that that we install and it feeds data. But like, but it's okay because I get to play solitaire for free on my phone. Yeah, so, of course. No, fair. I have no problem with the um the uh, fair, fair trade. Yeah, uh, with with like the uh, the Apple ones, whatever. Like, I don't think that those are super intrusive. They don't ask to track your data. Um, but I'm sure it's being tracked anyway. Who cares? The thing is, yeah. like, we get so disturbed by these types of reports, and then like Tony Stark takes it on himself to do it entirely. So yes, very disturbing. But him saying Maya. I can see through satellites now is the funniest fucking thing to me. <laughs> like what a fucking nerd. Fuck you, Tony Stark. <laughs> okay. Fucking I thought nerd. it was cool. <laughs> what a dick. Okay. I don't want you to see through satellites. Like, okay. <laughs> it's just, it's a very, like, I am like the satellite. Like, it's just, it's a very, it, it's just, it, it's, he takes himself very seriously, which is just a little a little cuckoo cachoo cuckoo. He's very for serious him. Okay. about himself, and I love it. It's very for me. It was it was cheesy, but uh, yeah, also very disturbing. The one thing I would have liked if like his eyes had like looked a little different when he said that, you know, if there was like some like eyeballs. almost like some bluish like hue or something to make him seem like post human, you know, like something sure. like that. I think would have uh, would have would have gone a long way. Yeah, to yeah, making you, and to making you not laugh at a moment that I I found chilling. It was just, <laughs> I think it was the lead up of all this insane bullshit of like what he's able to control now and him being the Iron Man uh, from the inside out, and like I was just like, okay, all right, sure, and then he's just like, and I can see through satellites now. Like I was just like, okay, <laughs> like we get it. You just made yourself a god. We get it. Is that the, the uh, like the god? Is that like the I know Kung Fu of the Marvel Universe? A hundred percent. Same fucking okay. thing for me. Yep. Exactly. Okay. You nailed it. It's weird because I know Kung Fu is like a pretty <laughs> fucking cool moment. But like, whatever. What do I know? I'm just there's a, a film. There's major. a meme that yeah. uh, it was just Keanu Reeves saying I know Kung Fu, but it would just replace the text with I know Excel. And that will forever stick with me. <laughs> that's yeah, all. That's pretty, that's pretty good. No one actually knows Excel. They're just lying. Um, yeah, it's just we just Google shit. Yeah, it tells us you what to do. Invincible Iron Man number six came out March 29th, 2006. So only Ooh. three months after. But okay. so far, it has taken about 17 months for six issues to come out. I'm pretty yeah. sure Warren Ellis was going through like major, major health issues because he was working on another series called Planetary, which was also heavily delayed and wouldn't end up finishing until I was in college. It started in 1999, I think. And then it wouldn't finish until 2008 or 2009. And it was 27 issues, which should Maybe have been he was just having like a, two and a half years. A couple months of sex pest fun. 
you know? Well, like sex pestery, Maybe sure. He had to yes. like put it off because he's like, I'm too busy being a sex pest July and June. So there's no way I can fit that in my schedule. Well, I know his his dad was like diabetic and had heart disease. And like, I'm pretty sure like passed those on to Warren as well. And he was also like a heavy drinker and, and smoker and stuff. There's a, a, a lot to Warren Ellis on top of uh, the sex pestery. afflicted artist. Yeah. Artiste is the way to describe it. I'm pretty sure if you yeah, call anybody European, an artiste, so, then yeah, they would be a sex pest. Yeah, he's from the UK. So that yeah, there you go. Having arrived in DC, Malin walks through the streets. Iron Man hovers above him out of sight and confirms the immediate area has been evacuated. With an ultra-powerful repulsor ray and a payload of Stark micro munitions, TM, uh, they bury <laughs> Malin into the pavement. Iron Man is fucking mailing up, and it's a real treat to see. Finding out this guy was like a KKK sympathizer. I love God seeing Nazis get beat up. It's really, yeah. it's really nice. Every time Malin tries to throw a haymaker, Iron Man stops him in his tracks. You know why you frightened me, Tony says. Why I had to deal with you myself. I made the first version of the suit to save myself and a friend from criminals with guns. I must have killed 50 people trying to free us, and my friend still died. A stray bullet went through the side of the hut, killed him instantly. And you killed 50 people you never met 20 years later. You're my nightmare. The version of me that couldn't see the future. Some murder-happy hillbilly who never in his life had a thought about what these tools were for. Malin simply cannot keep up. While Tony is saying all this, he's just kicking this dude's ass. Malin is throwing everything he has at him, and it's still not enough. Quote, I'm as fast as you and running the suit by thought. You lost the arms race. I've spent years trying to get out of the arms race. Years trying to turn the suit into something that doesn't just kill. You can still live through this, Malin. Malin charges at Tony, who sees he's above a municipal electrical line. He grabs the live wire and stabs Malin in the chest with it, blasting him into a nearby apartment building. Tony punches him through every possible wall and kicks this dude's ass out the other side of the building. Tony keeps trying to de-escalate the situation, but Malin isn't having any of it. Tony admits he's trying very hard to not kill him. Using old construction equipment, the two are still duking it out. Malin catches Iron Man's fist in his hand and thinks he's about to crumple it again like he did back in Texas. Instead, Iron Man headbutts him. The two keep fighting. Malin, for God's sake, don't make me. Malin says, there isn't any future. I'm going to kill it. At that moment, Iron Man shoots a unibeam from his chest through Malin's torso with spine and viscera exploding out of the exit wound. He then grabs Malin's head and shoots repulsors from both hands and vaporizes the guy's head. Tony kicks Malin's dead body, upset as shit that it came down to killing this guy. He says... <laughs> headless he one... body. Yeah, sorry, headless body. Uh, he says he has one last thing left to do, the worst thing. Tony shows up to Future Farm with military police and tells Maya it takes two people to open the vault. Killian couldn't have done it alone. He knows Maya helped him leak it. Quote, the army pulled the extremist funding. No field test. No more money, even though you had a working process. So you and your boss decided to arrange a live demonstration yourselves. Dose a terrorist with extremists and call your friend Tony Stark, who employs Iron Man. An extremist and Hansile tested against a man wearing the most advanced personal combat system on Earth. Tony has Maya dead to rights. Then Maya responds, quote, you know what they said about the atomic bomb? They said it had to be used in anger in order that it never be used in anger ever again. I Gross. wouldn't have used 
the, the renewed funding, or sorry, I would have used the renewed funding to get out of the arms race, set up on my own, medical technology. More than 50 people die in car accidents every day. The only mistake I made was giving a damn about who is inside the Iron Man suit. There's no difference between us, Tony. You're no better than me. But I'm trying to be, he says. And I'm going to be able to look at myself in the mirror tomorrow. And that concludes the Extremis arc from Invincible Iron Man. Fabio, what did we think? I am very interested in the mental gymnastics of Tony Stark. I still don't love him as a character. I think he's a piece of shit. Um, But I find him super intriguing because it represents something real, you know? Um, Just the military industrial complex and being able to justify the things that one does with the idea of no i'm because i'm doing it for the greater good which is just like a gross thing to do right um but i mean also like if you don't stop a nazi extremist then who the fuck will you know like so there has to be like i understand that he wanted to take this guy down but he didn't even have the right reason you know it was just the idea of like the reason like that this guy's just like you know, a piece of shit that needs to be taken down that killed 50 FBI people, you know? Um, it was just interesting that he saw that as the worst thing possible when he knows for a fact that the weapons that he made killed tons of people, you know, families, civilians, mm. you know, and bad people alike, but like, you know, also did yeah. a lot of harm. Um, and, you know, his actions even got his own friend killed in the cave when he first, you know, made the first Iron Man suit so like dr ho yinsen pour one yeah, out yeah yes you know if you've watched the movie you get an idea of basically it's the exact same origin story um uh, very similar but um yeah i i just found it i found him as a character very interesting because it represents the mental gymnastics one has to do to justify um what you think is the greater good which might not always be the greater good you know right um, right so yeah, I, I I honestly I am in love with this comic. I don't know if I read a shit ton of Iron Man because I don't know if anybody else treats it the same way, but I love the way that this comic was treated. Um, I hate the person who wrote it, and um, you know, really like obviously didn't treat other people well. But like, you yeah. know, I do find the complexities of the character that were arisen um, as something very interesting. Uh, and I highly recommend this as a jumping off point for Iron Man. Um, what do you think about it? Uh, I think this is like a really interesting book for Warren Ellis. Uh, we talked about him at the beginning of the show, the bad shit he's done. Uh, he is like one of the most important comic book authors of the last 30 years. He like started in the UK comic scene, did a bunch of work in the States. But the first thing that really put him on the map was this book called Stormwatch. And then uh, he had this other like creator owned series at Vertigo called Transmetropolitan. Those were like the two biggest possible books. And Stormwatch was such a big deal because it made superheroes real. And so for like the first time ever in a comic book that I can remember seeing, heroes had to worry that if they were flying as fast as they could and they tried to grab someone falling from a building because physics says that if they're flying, you know, at the speed of sound or whatever, the sudden stop of them trying to grab someone who's falling would turn that person into a stain on the side of the building. Like he was like the first person to like really sort of apply like this 
postmodern interpretation of superheroes uh, in the medium, which I think is really, really interesting. Just out of curiosity, was that before Gwen Stacy's death or um, was Gwen Stacy's death after this? Gwen Stacy's death was before that. And so that's okay. a that's a that's a great point where it was like him not supporting the neck as he shot the web down to like save her as she fell from the bridge. But like but it, in a more realistic way because of the speed of sound and all that shit at like hyper yeah. speeds and stuff. Yeah, that that makes sense. Okay. Uh yeah. And so like uh Sex Pest sucks. Um, but like, man, this dude like changed comics. Um Stormwatch eventually turned into this book called The Authority, and that book also changed comics the scope the store uh, the story even like the framing by this the artist this guy named brian hitch who's like a total fucking genius uh that changed it and there was a companion book called planetary and that was what i was referencing earlier when you were talking about um tony stark and like what actually makes him a hero because like he, you say he's like elon musk but if elon musk gave the smallest possible shit more than he currently does <laughs> yeah and I totally, I totally get that, you know, because like Elon Musk wants to save the world, but he wants to save the world while becoming the richest person in it. So like, I, I understand that. And in a very individualistic um, way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Planetary is one of my favorite comics ever. It's basically like a survey taking a look at like every single major genre to happen over like the course of like modern pop culture, like Ooh. of the entire century, basically. So like, thematically there's episodes that deal with kaiju in japan there's episodes or issues that deal with uh like ghost revenge stories in hong kong um there's like all this crazy shit that happens like edward rice burroughs stories like in terms of like fighting aliens and then there's also like uh like a a tarzan type narrative like he just takes every like major pastiche and just like analyzes it through the lens of this comic and like the idea is like there's this team of people who call themselves the archaeologists of the hidden history of the 20th century and so it's about them documenting all this shit and then i'm going to spoil it here uh but like basically you find out the villains of the story are basically the fantastic four from marvel like they're like tweaked obviously to like be sure not like a, a lawsuit yeah. um, but like i think his like basic point is that like you have the smartest person in the universe and all he's doing is like trying to go to a parallel earth when he could have saved the world a hundred fucking times you know like mm -hmm. he could have created like a one-shot insulin solution so every diabetic would not have to deal with insulin ever again like he, he could like save everything he just fucking chooses not to because he's the most arrogant person in the world and so yeah. i think that's like such an interesting thing because he was still working on planetary this time but he decides to write iron man who i think could also probably save the fucking world but instead just like invest in this iron man suit and oh god damn Everything yeah. he does is about like a bleeding edge, melding philosophy with technology mm -hmm. as seen in this story. Extremis. It's about humanity's place between the two. And it's the future we have. Isn't the one we were promised, but finding the joy in the things we do have. And so like, I think this book is great. I think it's almost like a watered down Warren Ellis book, but also I think it's probably like the most simplistic interpretation of his general philosophy in comics where like fuck what happened to the future man like we used to be excited yeah and like that is in all of his books but i don't think it's ever as clearly defined as it is in this book yeah i uh i really do appreciate when 
because I, I think I think my general idea of superheroes for the most part is that they're usually treated in a way where they're objectively good. Um, and I just really, really appreciate it when a writer will take that character and show the flaws and show peel back the layers so that it's not this, oh, Batman's a badass, but like, no, Batman's kind of a piece of shit and here's why. Like, you know, he he like enjoys the pulp, you know, <laughs> like yeah. it, it's it's I like it when they can take it to that level and show that these are not characters that like you want to be. You know, these are deeply troubled people who like do fucked up shit and there are consequences to it. And I like I like it when they could do that. And I think that this book did that perfectly, um, mm-hmm. that nobody's fucking perfect, <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. No matter how good the intentions all right, we talked a lot about how Warren Ellis changed comics. That's great. But um, I think the artists technically changed shit more than more than Warren Ellis did. Uh, so let's talk about Addy Granov for a second. Ooh, yes. Please um, he is an Eastern European-born conceptual designer who was doing work for Nintendo at the time on games oh. for the GameCube. Like, uh, I think, uh, what is it? Um what was that jet skiing game? Uh, jet Set Radio? No, that's not Jet Set. No, oh, uh, uh, Wave Race. W- 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 there it is. Yep. Yeah, Wave Race. Uh, Blue Storm for GameCube and stuff. And he's doing covers for, uh, or sorry, not covers, but like doing art for Wizards of the Coast for like their card games. And okay. he eventually started working for a publisher called Dreamwave, which has since gone under. And the weirdest part about that is they had the Transformers license, but he wasn't working on a Transformers book, which I think makes no sense. But they had a really talented artist, this guy named Pat Lee, who was doing the Transformers books instead, so it makes sense. But now he had a comics portfolio due to his time at Dreamwave. He got picked up by Marvel for an Iron Man poster book, and from there, uh, like that was so successful that he just became the artist for the story, uh, which was read by John Favre and inspired <laughs> him to direct the Iron Man movie, which Addy Granoff, same artist, was the concept artist on. The guy drew an Iron Man comic no and changed way. box office shit forever. And so what's super interesting, this story... Uh, is clearly like the main plot in Iron Man 3. Yeah, that's why right? the fucking what? origin story made so much. Like, it was so, re- like, it, I remembered it. Like, that was something yeah. I remember seeing. That makes sense. And so in Iron Man 3, like, we see they change a lot. Like, Aldrich Killian is actually, like, the bad guy in this, not some fucking weird incel who blows his brains out in the <laughs> third third panel he's featured in. Um, but... Like, even more than that, like, I think the themes of the future is, like, the entire point of Iron Man 2. The origin that was retold here from, like, Gulf War shit was just retold for Iron Man 1. You know, like, so, like, this book became, like, granted the story was most clearly reflected in Iron Man 3. But, like, the themes, the tone, everything else, I think, like, there wouldn't be an Iron Man trilogy without this book. Interesting. that I think that makes this comic like one of the most important that Marvel's ever made. And so another reason, like I cannot stress enough how unpopular a character Tony Stark was at Marvel. Like it's fucking mullet. He was such He's like, yeah, he was such like a C-list character. No one gave a shit about him. No one like really took him that seriously, you know, like shitty Batman. Cause it was like, that was like animated series were much more popular than a fucking comic book at that time in the nineties or like, yeah. So like it, yeah, I mean, we had fucking X-Men and Batman animated series. So, like, we had a cool dude doing gadget shit already. And he just <laughs> wasn't even close in the comics. Yeah, and everyone knows bats are way cooler than fucking iron. iron. <laughs> everyone knows that. 
Um, and so, like, one thing that I think is really interesting is that, like, when this comic came out, man, there, like, just weren't a whole lot of, like, kick-ass Iron Man stories to point to. Like, the, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. I've got the list from Games Radar, which acquired, like, the long-running comic website, Newsarama. And so now they're just kind of like the same website. The number one Iron Man story of all time is called Demon in a Bottle. And this is all about Stark's battle with alcoholism, right? Yeah. And that's okay. considered the, the best Iron Man story ever. And it's it's good. It's really good. I get that. But Extremis is number two. And interesting. It, besides that, there's a comic called Armor Wars, which was like a really big deal. And then there was one called Doom Quest, where it was like Iron Man and Doom fight, I think, in like medieval Arthurian sure. times. Why not? Yeah, that one's but I'm saying like there was like the smallest possible handful of like, oh shit, you like Iron Man? Go check out this book. Gotcha. Okay. And so like the f- fact that like this book elevated the character, because all of a sudden there was a modern Iron Man story people could point to and go, Yo, did you read this shit yet? It is bonkers. Like this was such a big deal. And the fact that it was six issues, it was uh, like 144 pages. It was like the traditional preferred model of like selling a trade paperback like it has six issues it took forever to fucking come out but once it did it was just like the perfect oh here you go like single package delivery iron man story okay and so that is why this comic was such a big deal and the next story has covers by adi granov warren ellis did not write the next story adi granov did not draw the next story he just did the covers and in fact we're not going to talk about an iron man comic on this show again until we get to like 2007 when the new Iron Man ongoing comes out immediately after Civil War. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, this was um, God. I love I love this podcast and I love what you're doing here because like I don't know if how how many people listen to this, but like <clears throat> for me, there it's, are dozens it's of us. Fuck. Dozens of us. <laughs> um, it's it's so it's so nice for me because like it really does break down these in you're you're picking your hand selecting these great fucking stories and they're like the best ones that i could find and it's just it's in a way where like these are characters i already fucking know like i don't have to read an origin story i know about them already but like these are perfect spots to jump in and read a little something about a character and get way more out of it than you get out of a marvel movie um yeah i i I really appreciate you putting this together this was very insightful Thanks, man. I appreciate that. And I know Captain America probably like isn't one of your favorite characters, but let me quickly sell you and the audience on the next episode. I want to record with you all about Captain America Yeah, from 2004. So that story opens with the Red Skull talking to some Soviet general selling him weird sci-fi weapons at the collapse of the Soviet Union. Yeah, man. I love him. I in? love history. Okay, cool. but only during World War Two. <laughs> so, only during World War Two, and yeah, everything and like, else is stupid. In the nineties, and just like, oh yeah, President Yeltsin. Yeah, I haven't heard that name in, in forever. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, that sounds very exciting. All right, well, listeners, I don't know when you're going to hear that. I think, um, I think the Astonishing X Men issue just came out. Maybe an X Men movie one will come out after this. But we are building towards Captain America. I also got to do a Black Panther issue soon and one more Young Avengers. And then I'm so excited. We're building up towards House of M, the first big event. So excited to cover that. 
You can find this podcast on every major podcatcher. In fact, if you made it this far, you know how to do that, which means you know how to explain to someone else how to do that. So please spread the word, rate this show on your podcatcher of choice, or rate us on Apple or Spotify, wherever you would like to do just that. That would be most appreciated. Please follow at PurpleBird616 on Twitter for updates about the show and um other stuff i'm doing in the comic space and in the video game space uh you can follow fabio on twitter at sabio fantana he is really good at video games and he would like to play them with you so hit him up there if you would like to do yeah let's that. let's get jump in a tank and play hell let loose let's play hell let loose let's play deep rock galactic oh yeah also um the rating feature only works on mobile so uh you can't do it on desktop just as a heads up on spotify at least so oh. if you want to rate it you gotta do it on mobile thanks i use overcast on ios which is sounds fine. like a nice day yeah i might have to use good pods instead uh thank you so much for listening please spread the word about this show and we will be back again next week probably talking about captain america's pew pew cowboy yeah buddy all right. Thank you for listening. Love you. Bye. Bye.